0: Hello, thank you for joining the Camden First Assembly broadcast. We are so excited to share the Word of God with you today, believing that this Word is exactly what He has for your life. So, stay tuned for today's message, and as always, remember, there's a place for you at Camden First Assembly. You know, I just kind of checked this out, you know, like, go get your oil change, you know. And uh, so he came back in and he said, uh, we're going to do a dye test uh, because I really that something's going on. So, he did a dye test. He came back then, and he says, um, you kind of got a choice. Uh, if we don't do open-heart surgery uh, now, uh, <laughs> he says, you probably won't be here tonight. That's a little bit shocking, you know, it's a little more than an oil change. So, I said, uh, okay. And uh, so they prepared for that, and it's kind of strange, you know. He said, I'm talking about now. He said, we, we're going to the operating room. They ask the person that's scheduled to go into surgery for heart surgery. They're not as serious as yours. We're going to ask them to wait till your surgery is over with. So they go in there, and they say to this lady that, hey, there's someone really needs to have emergency heart surgery. Uh, would you be willing to wait? She says, who is it? It says, well, it's Bob Holyfield. I know him. He's the prison minister. That'll be fine. I'll wait. And so, sure enough, they did a four bypass heart surgery four years ago. And From that day to this day, God sustained us. And we believe it's for a purpose to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to those behind the wire and in prisons across our nation. And so we want to share a little bit about that today, but today's a really kind of special day. We usually have two or three people with us today that's been in prison that that comes to a mission service. I only go out like 12 times a year. I'm not like a lot of missionaries who take off a year and itinerate, but we just kind of go to 12 mission services a year every year, and that equals the same thing, and God blesses that that way. But uh, we do have someone in—I asked Pastor uh, if it would be okay that we brought someone that had been in prison. And uh, share today, and he just let me know that you folks would welcome him. Is that true? Is that okay to do today? And uh, so he's only been out of prison a few months, about six months. Uh, But I know this guy pretty well. He's my senior son, my oldest son. And we waited for this day a long time. God's done a new work in his life, and now, I'm going to tell you, folks, I spent 30 years in ministering in prisons. It's not a nice place. We need to do a whole lot more than we're doing with those people who get incarcerated. But uh, I'm just going to ask him to come up front and take a few minutes. I don't know if he'll go a minute or two minutes or three minutes. It's not something he does all the time, but I think it's something he's going to be doing all the time, you know. Uh, your pastor, he sat and listened to him about an hour yesterday, and I think he's even fired up a little bit this morning about that. So, Bobby Delane, Holy Filling.
1: His breath, his breath is in our lungs. When I come in here today, I'll just be honest with y'all. I wasn't feeling it. About three months ago, I fractured my back. I got a lot of pain in my back. And I just kind of down and out. And I'm not used to talking in front of people. So y'all bear with me as I get through this. But um, I was listening to that song and I felt the spirit. It's nice to come into a church and you don't feel it. And you're there for a few minutes and you start feeling it. Amen. I was born in uh, Hammond, Indiana. My name is Bobby Delane Holyfield. They call me Delane. Um, I was raised a preacher's kid all my life. He was saying he's, he's been a prisoner as long as you've been alive, but he's been preaching as long as I've been alive, and I'm 51. So he's been in the ministry for a long time. I was born in Hammond, Indiana, and um, like all preacher's kids, I went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, um, youth conventions, CA conventions, church camps, and um, lived for the Lord. And when I was 14 years old in Hartford City, a church camp, um, uh, they have tabernacle and they have service, and it's just a time for you go uh, uh, every summer, all week long, you go to a church camp, and they have these conventions, and they have concerts, and they have activities. Well, I was 14 years old, and I had an altar call, and I went up to the altar, and I knelt down. And what seemed like a few minutes was like an hour when I turned around, and all the kids in the tabernacle was gone. And that's when I felt a calling on my life to share God like my father. And I was excited about that, began to do that. And somewhere between the age of 16 and 18, I began to take my focus off what God called me to do. It's like Peter got out of the boat, and he took his focus off Jesus, but he reached down and pulled us up. How many know that no matter how many times you take your eyes off God, he's still going to reach down and pull you back up? Amen? (laughs) And this this testimony is, is maybe for someone that's come to God and fell back, come to God and fell back, and that's what? I've done my whole life since I've been 18 years old. We moved to Arkansas, we was uh, we lived in a town with like 57,000 people, and mom and dad wanted to move uh, back home to take care of their parents. He would never tell you this, but he wanted to get me out of the big city. I was running with the wrong crowd, doing the wrong things, getting involved in stuff, started smoking marijuana, the gateway to other drugs, as we know. And we moved from a town with 50,000 to a town with 300 people to of Arkansas. And it's crazy that you move from a big town to a small town, and you get introduced to some of the hardest drugs you ever met. But that's when my really my addiction started. Uh, uh, one of my cousins introduced me to a drug called methamphetamine, and it changed my life from then till now. I spent over 20 years plus uh, in prison. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I spent over 20 years. Um, excuse me, y'all. I got to get my mouth dry sometimes when you're nervous. Yeah. I spent over... 20 years of my life in prison. In 1989, I was uh, drinking, stoned out of my mind. Um, I went to Russellville, Arkansas, robbed a motel 18 blocks later. Thank God they caught me, put me in jail, and stopped me in my trash to give me time to think. I went to prison when I I turned 19 at Little Tucker. Um, Prison is a a dark world. There's there's not really no um, rehabilitation in prison. The only thing that I've seen in prison that can change lives and pay you is when people bring Jesus Christ into prison. Then I spent some years in there. I got out, did good for a while, and um, started back in my old life again. But it seemed like every time that I started getting, it's not that I did so much that, that I finally went to prison. It's every time I did something, God stopped me in my tracks. And how many know when you have a calling in your life? No matter how many times you mess up, God's going to finally get your attention. I, I was some. Uh, just, just I got out of prison. I started back in con- construction just a uh, few months ago, and I it out my car and fractured my back. And I was thinking just the other day, I was saying, "Why, why is this going on? This is my livelihood. This is the only thing I know how to do. I frame houses for a living. I need to do this." But God said, "This, I don't. This is not what I called you to do." So, fracture my back. I'm laid up, and I'm reading more than I ever have. And God said, "This is what I want you to do. I want you to share." So, that's what. That's where I'm at now. Um, uh, I wanna, I'd like to tell you a, a little story that I heard that kind of goes along with, with, with my life. There's a, uh, over in the Himalayas, uh, there's a guy named David and Sammy, and this church went under the ground that day. And uh, they, called, they called the dad and stuff, and the, the, uh, the first responders, the ambulance, and all the people came, and they, and they, try, they tried to dig up stuff where the, the kids went underneath the school. And, and after hours and hours and days and days, they gave up. But they called Sammy's dad, David, and he drove two hours away, and he, he got the architect out, and he tried to figure out where his son might be at, at that school that day. And he went over, and he started, and someone come and said, oh, we can't do it. We don't have backholes out here. We don't have heavy equipment out here. We tried to get them. They're lost. There's nothing we can do. He said, I'm not going to give up. So he found a place where his son might be, and he went over there, and he started reaching down, and he started digging the rocks and trash and rubble. Off that place where his son might be, and he'd come over here, and he'd lay it down on the ground. And he'd go back over there and pick up more stuff, and people would try to pull him away. After about 20, 30 hours, his hands was bleeding, his knees were bleeding, and people would say, no use, we've been trying to get it. He said, just join me or leave me alone. And it went into two days, and he'd go over and pick up rock, and he'd pick up rebel, and he'd pick up trash. And he'd come over here, and he'd lay it down on the ground and set it down. And he kept doing that, and people said, stop, there's no use. And in the third day, hands bleeding, knees bleeding, he reached down and he rolled a big old boulder away. And he he said, "Sammy, Sammy, can you hear me?" And he heard a little voice say, "I told you my dad would come. I told you my dad would save us." And that's what is happening in my life. That's what Jesus is doing in our life. My mom and dad, dad has never given up on me. There's times in my addiction where I was in a place. Robbing a dope dealer's house, and had guns pointed at my head, and I literally noticed on the wall, the clock said 2.30, it was an alarm clock. And we had guns pointed at each other, and someone told me to go out, and however I made it out of that house alive, I don't know. But the next day, Dad called me and said, son, what was you doing last night? I said, "I oh, just hanging out with a old girl. So when mom fell out of bed last night at 2.30, crying her eyes out, screaming for your life. And story after story after story, I can tell you, the love is what changes people's lives. There's people that come into prison and they don't have men that don't have nobody. They don't have no family. People that's given up on them. If I was my dad, I would have given up on me a long time ago. But one thing he instilled in me is to never ever give up. Never stop loving. I, there's time, you you don't always have to go bell them out. Sometimes I needed to be there. I, I I made a bed that I laid in. But when he come into that window, come into visitation that day, and he walked in, I come in and seen my dad through that window and said, son, I love you. I'm here for you. It meant everything in the world. And everything in the world. People don't in prison, they don't they don't care what you say until so they know that you care. And when you and when you reach into people's lives, you come in and touch them and you, and you go into a dark place. It's a dark place. I've seen I was in prison just last time and I had a friend that I started sharing the word with, and I did real good in prison. I went through a, a seminary, I got my bachelor's degree in biblical studies while I was there, and then my brother passed away in 2019, and I got angry at God. I started running from him. And 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 from then on to now, God has just really been working on me and saying, just be thankful for the time that you had with him. And that's where I'm at now. But I was going to share your story. I was in prison, and I was talking to this guy. And this is how, some, and I've seen this time and time and time again. Mom would write him and send him Bible studies. And we'd witness him, but he had 110 years from stuff he shouldn't even had, And he was down there studying, and I was talking to him. And one day I looked over in his cell. And he hung there. He was hanging in the cell for four hours before they come and got him down. You know, but I'm hoping that maybe what I said might have did something to him. I know that the way he went out is crazy, but there's so many men in there that can't bear I've seen men in prison stay in one room for 14 years. They 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 feed them through a hole in the door. That when they come in, they shackle them, walk out the door, they they put chains down your legs, put shackles in your feet, and they usher them to the shower. And they take the shackles off, they close the door, turn around, you put the, take the handcuffs off, give you seven minutes to shower. And they might see daylight once or twice a week. And, and when you're at the lowest of lows, how many know when you're at the lowest of lows? James says when you go try, through trials and tribulations, that's when he really works in your life. But when you're in the lowest of lows, like those in prison, and you reach out and you share Jesus with them, it gives them hope. It gave me hope. That's the only reason. That's the only reason I'm here today. Like I said, it's been a long time since I talked to him in front of a bunch of people, but I feel the presence of the Lord, I love y'all, and I want you to be praying for me as God works in my life, that I can come more like my father. I can tell you that my mother, when I was in prison, people say, that's crazy, you you said you got 400 letters a year, literally, mom would send me 10 letters on Christmas, 10 letters on Thanksgiving, 10 letters on uh, Valentine's Day, 10 letters for my birthday, and every letter every day of the year, literally, and that's the love, that's the kind of love that changes lives because addiction is strong. It, t- it takes you farther than you ever want to go and leads you longer than you ever want to stay. I'm sure you all heard that, it, and it's done that to my life. I am started at 18 years old, and it just went by like now. Now I'm 51 years old. But I know God has a plan for my life, and it's because of the love, the real unconditional love of these two right here that's changed my life. And that's what I want to do for other people in the dark world. I just want to thank you you all for letting me share with you. I love you. Please pray for me. Thank you very much.
0: Well, that's an answer to prayer. I hope he takes my job. Amen. <laughs> I just miss, I need to say this. It's just a belief in my heart that those that are called of God, um, Moms and dads is called of God in the ministry, deacons, same way, maybe a lot of church members on fire for God, that the devil targets your kid. And he'd like to knock them out of the whole picture of heaven. And he would like to stop the minister from reaching and preaching, you know. And, I, I, you know, I've lived for God. I, you know, I'm one of those guys that never did drugs. I don't know what alcohol tastes like. You know, I never got into that, but I was lost as a goose when I came to Christ. And uh, I really believe that uh, over the years that w- we have felt that, Betty and I felt that so powerfully that God would try to do that. When Clayton, uh, our son, died at 40, I mean, there was a voice in the chapel that said, uh, if he dies, will you keep on doing prison ministry? And, you know, Pastor, I had to say in the name of Jesus and through the power of the blood, you know, I will keep on doing what God's called us to do. Amen? So, uh, when you hear about that, don't say they know better. Intercede for them. I believe in prayer, folks. You know, I woke up at 2 o'clock this morning, and uh, at 2 o'clock in the morning, I said, it's a little early for church service here at the First Assembly of God in Camden. So, what do you do? And the Lord, made, you know, you don't ask God that. <laughs> He'll answer you right away. And he said, uh, how about praying your your prayer list, and I have about 280 or more people in my prayer list, and by the way, there's a Connor and, and um, Rihanna that's been added to that starting this morning, and they'll stay on that list, and they'll get prayed every week and sometime more often, but uh, let me tell you, if you're, if you're in the last 100 miles of your trip and you're tired and wore out and you start praying, that trip seems like it's only about 50 miles but if you don't pray, it's like it's a 1,000 miles before you get home. So it really makes a difference. Wow. I just feel the presence of God today and in this place. And uh, we, we are called. Uh, my wife is Betty. Uh, she started writing me true in the first grade notes. Uh, I started answering them in sophomore year because she looked a little different in the sophomore year than, than in, the, in the first grade. And uh, we dated for three and a half years through high school and a year after high school and got married at 18 and 19. Some said we wouldn't make it. We're only 40 years old, but we've been married 53 years, so, you know, we're going to stick around for a long time to come. Amen. <laughs> wow. I, in um, prayer, is so powerfully important. I, I just feel like I'm in a place that you believe that your God does all things well and that your God's all-powerful. And we really can thank God for everything. We don't have to what we're going through, but we can thank him for everything. And so I feel like we're the place we can do that. One of the things that we, we do is in prisons, uh, about six different seminars that last for four days. We're probably the only ministry that uh, go into prison. We get four straight days, and we're with them at least six hours a day. So in that 24-hour period of time, God's Holy Spirit can move in a powerful way because they, when, when you get men and women under the influence of God's Word for an extended period of time, the Holy Spirit begins to work. And that's what happened. But one of the programs that we teach is like uh, in our anger resolution program is the uh, different positions of prayer. You know, you might be kneeling or you might be standing. You might be looking at God. You know, when you look at God face to face, you know, you want everything to be okay inside of here, you know. And uh, so I'm familiar with those prayers and positions that we teach in prison a lot. I was getting ready to go into the federal prison in, uh, in uh, Fort Worth uh, just a few months ago. And I pulled up. It was just about daylight. And I, I noticed I pulled up, there's a one guy in front of me at the traffic light, and uh, he was doing this, and this, and then he went like this. And I pulled up really close, I could see a cross on his rearview mirror in, his, in, his, in the front seat there. And you know what he was doing? He was, he was praying one of those positions that we teach in prison, that you, you reach your hand out to the person that you're praying for. Or the situation that you're praying for, and in, at daylight that morning, I was getting prayed for from the guy in front of me. How many believes in that kind of prayer? So, uh, so you know, uh, um, in fact, uh, I just do that right now. Just turn around and just reach out somewhere to somebody in the congregation and pray for them right now. Would you do that? Betty and my wife's having some back problem too today. Delaney's having some back problem. Rihanna's had an injury and in that has a cast on her arm. And God could do healing right now. Father in heaven, in Jesus' name and through the power of the blood, we just welcome your healing in this place, God. Not only up in the hospital, God, where the brother is today, but in this sanctuary, God. It's no interruption, God, what's been planned for this day, God. So we just pray, Jesus, that you extend your hand and that they feel the impact of the Holy Spirit that God is doing something now. Lowering the blood pressure, God. Preventing someone from having a stroke, God. Or healing someone. Someone that's got stomach problems today, God. You are the great physician. We recognize that. We honor you in this house, God, as the healer. So, Lord, let it flow. Let them walk from this place knowing that Jesus has touched their body and has done it for a purpose that they might serve God even better, Lord. We ask that in that powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to go to a sermon on the mountain there in in Matthew 5 for a few minutes and talk about that a little bit and interwoven maybe a few things through that. But uh, I just felt the Lord today wanted me to go to chapter 5 there and and look at the scripture there and take a few minutes along the way there. Um, As you're turning to Matthew 5, verse 1, verse 2, and 3, one of the things that we we get to experience in prison is that, and it's what Dwayne said. If they know that you love them, your ministry is received. If they know that you're coming there to uh, maybe give an altar call and go back and count. And this 20 got saved and, and uh, tell people that, you know, you went to prison and kind of pat yourself on the back. They'll turn you off in a New York second. But they know that you love them. I was in the Kentucky prison just a few a couple months ago. And uh, we say to the inmates all the time, uh, in fact, I, you know, I did it a crazy way. But I said, hey, guys, have I told you that I love you yet? And about an hour later, I do the same thing. Hey, guys, have I told you that I love you today? And I I do that all day long as we're going through the first day. A guy in Kentucky Kentucky came up to me afterwards. He said, hey, man. He says, I like the way you started this seminar. I said, how's that? He says, you told us that you love us. We don't hear much of that around here. And, guys, they respond to that kind of love that Jesus has for us. Amen? So let's keep that in mind. But it says in Scripture, "In seeing the multitude, Talk about Jesus here. He went up into the mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And, you know, the Scripture says a multitude was there. A crowd was there. A lot of people was there. And when you, let me just ask you right now, when you see a crowd of people, what do you see? You know, I mean, what's the first thing that really comes to your mind when you see a crowd? Betty and I drove around a little bit in the city last night. We seen a crowd down by Walgreens. There must have been 50 people in that parking lot down there, you know. And it just didn't look like they were planning on going to church on Sunday morning to me. Look at they needed Jesus. But, you know, if, if you're a doctor and you're looking at a crowd, you're probably trying to see somebody. I mean, the first thing I noticed, Rihanna had a cast on her arm. I, and I've, I saw her in, in a mission conference up in Branson. I never saw that the whole th- three days we were there. But I, I saw it this morning, you know, so I need to be a doctor again. But if you're, if you're a mother, what is a mother doing if she sees a crowd? She's concerned about those kids, and those babies, and are they being fed, and are they clothed, you know. Police officer? You know, they're checking around to see if there's any crime or, you know, anybody there that looks like they might do something wrong. I mean, what, what do you really see when you see go into a crowd? And, you know, when Jesus saw that crowd, I think he said, you know, i got a job to do. You know, I need to call these disciples here, and I need to pour into them. And we need to take the truth of God's Word into the lives of these people. And, you know, I, I've learned from that that uh and and i've told everybody all across this country we're in 21 states that we've been to now some four foreign countries i've been in almost every i think i've been in every prison in ukraine and not only were we there we brought 10 of those officials to the united states and we walked them into the prisons where we're teaching god's word every day for a year and want them to take it back to ukraine so my heart's a little bit different when I see the news and people have all the different opinions. I walk with those guys who had given their life to Christ. And those, those guys, prison officials that we brought to America, and when we tried to win them to the Lord, they would say, Bob, we did not had God in 70 years. You've got to give us a little time. But I've got to tell you, in Chicago, they every single one of them asked Christ to come into their life for the first time. And they're in Ukraine somewhere today, so keep praying for them. Keep, keep praying for them along the journey. Uh, it says in the Scripture there in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So there's a couple of things that I wanted to point out there. You know, first of all, you know, you, you know, we've had people trying to come in the Bible, you know, to buy salvation or buy the Holy Spirit or or people that came that trying to explain it when Jesus said, just sell everything you got, you know. Uh, you, you, you you just can't come and bargain and say, God, you know, I'll, I'll I'll come to you if you'll do this in my life, you know. I've seen people when their family they members are dying with cancer in a hospital that would make a bargain with God. And said, God, I'll serve you all my life if you'll heal my wife. You know, that's not the way we come to salvation. You know, we can't. We can't come there uh thinking that well, we've got something to offer you i mean you're you're doing a good deal breaking me into the kingdom of heaven anybody re- understand what i'm saying here it's like you know humility i mean the night that i got saved uh it it was it was like they couldn't get me off the altar you know what's wrong with this 60 year old kid you know it, in fact, the pastor said to me, I've been going there three, years, three months, and he's been giving an altar call every, every service there, and I hadn't responded to it. But that night, the Holy Spirit was knocking on Bob's heart. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. That night, God was doing something in my life. And uh, so when I got to the altar, I was so happy that Christ received me into my life. Went home, woke my parents up. Uh, my dad wasn't a Christian, my mother was. Dad told me, "says son, settle down. Things gonna be okay. Church, they haven't been okay yet. I'm still fired up. What God did in my life that night. Amen. But also, there's there's this thing of uh, poor in spirit. As you study that, and as we've been taught over the years is that it's this thing that uh, it's almost like you 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 need to get to the point that you know the term bankrupt. What can you do about your bills if you're bankrupt? I heard nothing, didn't I? There's nothing you can do. And you know what? There was nothing I could do the night that I came to Christ for salvation except ask Jesus to forgive me for my sins. He did the other part. He gave me eternal life. I couldn't buy it that way. So there's just something about when we talk to those in prison that we are trying to get them to the place. In fact, I I signed the letters that I send out uh, to the different people that uh, we are serving a group of people that are crying out for help. Now, most people would say, that's crazy. Those guys aren't crying out for help. They cry out a different way. They're not running to the altars. They're they're, they're tough, you know, in that skin. They're into that sin, you know. They're acting like they don't care. But I'll tell you, when they get under the influence of God's word, things begin to change. In Pine Bluff a few weeks ago, we were there, and uh, a guy came in, and he says, man, I want out of here. I don't want to be in here for four days. I said, I'm sorry, but this warden has a uh, policy here. If you sign up for the program, you can't get out. If you get out, you're going to get rolled up and get put in the hole. He said, well, I didn't sign up. My buddy signed me up. I said, I'm sorry I can't get you out. So I watched him through Monday and Tuesday, about halfway through the day. I was feeling a little bit of mercy for him, so I go over and I say, buddy, I says, I'm sorry. you got to be in a place you don't want to be. He said, well, that's okay. He says, this stuff may be for me. The next day I could tell something was changed, In our last day he asked Christ to come in his life and be Lord of His life. After four days under the influence of God's word, the Holy Spirit does the work. You know? You know, we used to have revivals for a long time. Betty and I experienced a revival for nine straight weeks. Don't tell me the Holy Spirit wasn't working. You get people in church under the influence of God's word for nine weeks. Something begins to happen. So I'm just here to tell you today God is finished with the First Assembly of God in Camden. He's wanting to fire you up. I made one of the biggest mistakes when I first pastored a church in Indiana when in my 20s. I had a missionary come in that was 81 years old. He was a missionary to the Indians in Arizona. And he was in my office, and was we about to walk to the platform, and I said, Brother Miller, I guess you're thinking about retiring. He said, retire? Did the devil ever retire? I'm going to refire and go back to the Indian reservations. I never made that mistake again. <laughs> never in my life. So some people ask me sometime, you know, we, Betty and I just got appointed for four more years, you know. When you get up around 70, you know, people say, how old are you? And they tell me when you get up around 80, they look at you and they go, you're doing good. So, you know, we're looking forward to going that far. Amen. So, what do you see is what we're really asking today, okay? What do you see when you see a crowd of people that is there? Uh, my middle son that Delane referred to that died with cancer almost three years ago now, uh, he had a habit of telling everybody about Jesus. And he had a way of doing it that nobody shut him up. Uh, one of Delaney's best friends that was a pastor in our community, he'd walk up where they were doing drugs and drinking beer, and Clayton was coming. And they, they'd say when, we, when Clayton walked up to our party, we'd say, Oh, God, here comes Clayton. And he said it wasn't so bad that he said, Hey, you boys don't mind if I pray for you, do you? And, of course, he said we would never say no. But he said the thing that bothered us was he asked us to hold hands while he prayed. And he prayed a long time. But that's the gospel that is there. What do we see when we see people? My wife, she's, she, she started in prison ministry long before I did, you guys. Fifteen years old. A guy goes to prison for, in our community for life sentence. And that 15-year-old got permission from her parents to start riding him and tell him that Jesus loves him. Years go by. Betty and I moved back. We've gone from Arkansas for 20 years. We moved back to our hometown. <clears throat> and she says to me, you know, that guy's in prison, still in prison, and his mom lives down the road. And folks, if I, could, I don't have time to paint the picture, but I don't know if you know what sawmill slabs are, but that was the siding of her house, old sawmill slides, uh, and the things that grew up everywhere, and windows were broken out, and I didn't even know because you couldn't even see the house from the road. And I came back there one day, and Betty says, "Hey, that lady's uh, mailbox is broken down, and it's, and someone's hit it. Uh, will you fix it?" And I said, "I'll get right to it." Now, how many have ever said that, "I'll get right to it?" And about two weeks later, she's out there in the road with some kind of iron bar, trying to chisel the ground, put her mailbox up. And I pulled in there, and I said, "Ma'am, if you..." You'll wait uh, just a few minutes. I'll go get tools. And I'll come back and put your mailbox up. I'll never forget when got it back up. She said, now write your bill for this. I didn't know what she meant, Connor. She, You know, she meant how much did I owe you. I go, oh, no. I said, my wife tells me that you're a Christian. You, you, you don't owe us anything. We'll just, you, you, you pay for it by praying for us, you know. Then Betty, she gets this idea. She says, you know, she hasn't seen her son in 10, 12, 15 years. Let's take her to Cummins' prison and you, you can set up this visitation down there and do that. So I did. i never forget that day she came out with some kind of mink coat on. Long, she's got very long hair. She's up in her 80s at this time. We drove to Cummins. They let us go in the visitation center, which might hold 200 people. But it's only Granny and Betty and myself. And her son comes out. And she hadn't seen him in years. And church, I'll never forget this scene if I live to be 100 years old. She took his face and pressed against hers, and she kept repeating, my boy, my boy, my boy. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, don't you ever forget that whoever's in prison, it's somebody's boy, somebody's daughter, somebody's daddy, somebody's mama. And that's the compassion that drives us, that we care about those guys that are locked up, folks. I mean, just before I left the office Friday, my phone rings. And I can look at my phone. I don't recognize the phone number. I know it's from the area code up in Russellville, Arkansas area. And the guy says, Hello. I said, Well, hello. How are you doing? He says, How are you doing? I said, I'm doing fine. He says, Do you know who you're talking to? I said, I don't believe I do. 22 years ago, I was at a county jail in Pope County, Arkansas. And he was an inmate playing the guitar singing a gospel message. 22 years ago, most people felt like, you may have heard of him here in church if you follow the news. He escaped from Cummins on a John Deere tractor. You know, I told Donnie, I wish I had a picture of that. He escaped on a John Deere tractor. They put him in Supermax, says, you'll never get out. I said, so I went to Supermax, and I said, looking through the little window there, I said, Tubby. Why did you do this? You know what he said to me? He said, my daughter had a a man that was dating her and was abusing her and beating her up. And I'm going to go home and stop that. I said, well, you don't escape on a junior tractor to go do that. He said, oh, Brother Bob, it's turned out real well. I said, how well did it turn out? He said, when I escaped and they were chasing me. My daughter got so scared that this is going to kill me. She went to church and got saved. She married a police officer. Now, it worked out real well. I said, please don't do evangelism that way no more, Tubby." So when I got that phone call, I began to shout. Bobby got the same phone call. He had already got into Hattieville, our small town, found out where I live, stopped by nobody's home, and he called me at the office and he called Bobby yesterday and he said the same thing to him. He says, could you tell me where Tubby Wilson is at? Delane says, I think he's in Barner Prison. He's no, he's not. He's in Hector, Arkansas. <laughs> so, God, you know, we experience all those things all the time that really brings a lot of joy to our lives. But let me go back. I just left a story today. I... My problem is, I'll keep you up all day and all night telling you about stories in prison. A friend of mine in North Little Rock said, "If I didn't know you better, I think you're on drugs." I said, said buddy, when someone changes a life, like's been gone and people forgotten, and they turn it over to Christ, I get pretty excited about that." But when we went to prison, there, I, 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 it was probably three weeks later or maybe a month, Betty says, well, we need to take Granny back to see her son again. But this time, she's already asked me to do her funeral. She knows her life's getting close to the end. And she says, I can't make the trip. So Betty and I went back, same visitation room, just Betty and Billy. And, and when we were down there, it didn't seem like he responded to God at all. You know, it didn't care less that we, it didn't seem like he, you know, he didn't say thank you for bringing mom down or anything like that. So we spent an hour with him, and the officer came out to me and said, Hey, Chaplain Hill, it's time you go. you got to go. And he grabbed Betty's hand, which broke one of the prison policies, and he grabbed my hand. He says, Hold on. We haven't prayed here yet. And for the first time in his life, he was open to being prayed for. I said, Billy, was there ever a time in your life that you were in church? He said, Oh, yeah. And he told me the to church five miles from my house. He said, I went there as a little boy. I got in a fight in the Sunday school class. He said, but the deacon came up and said to my mom, don't you ever bring this brat back again? How many of us were brats? Few of us willing to confess. And I say, oh, this country, yeah, they may put some marks on your bathrooms. They may disrupt sometimes. But let's keep reaching the little brats for Jesus. Can I say this? You know, a lot of things had happened in my home. The bad year. My sister, nine years old, had died. Mom had been out of church for nine years because she was an invalid all those years. She never talked, she never walked. And I'm deer hunting. Any deer hunters here? A deer hunter across the field. What do you see in a crowd? What do you see when there's a 16 year old across the way in a deer stand? He saw a boy that didn't know Christ. He walks across the field, looks up at my deer stand, and he says, if I give you a ride to church, would you go? I said, yes, sir, I'd go. I got home and told my parents about that. Dad says, well, you got your driver's license. Dad, you can take the pickup truck. You go ahead and drive. If it hadn't been for that deer hunter, invited him to the church, I I wouldn't have been sitting there in October and November and December, and on January 23rd, give my life to Jesus Christ. So, you know, in this same chapter here, in verse 13, it says you're the salt of the earth. You know, I really believe the United States is standing because of you folks, because of Christians today. I really believe that's the only thing that's keeping us from being like a Ukraine right now. I believe that we are making a difference in America, even though they don't think we're vital when it comes to the pandemic. They don't think we're vital. Do you know the chaplains in Arkansas closed down for 18, well, to almost two years. And the only way I'm getting in prison right now is because I've been carrying a badge for 30 years when I was state chaplain at Tucker 30 years ago. I couldn't even get a pastor in next week. I'll be in, in Bricky's. Our team will be there Monday and Tuesday. And I'll catch up with them Wednesday this week. I couldn't even get a pastor in there last a month ago over there. He still can't this day. Every county jail in Arkansas is closed down right now. How many of you thinks that might be the work of the devil? Yeah, I think so. So please, when you pray, pray that we break through on that. I, I believe God is uh, one, one of the things that I, I'm – going to close. Pastor, I really am in about five minutes. Okay, four minutes. <laughs> Going into prison, I I believe they don't give enough altar calls, okay? Because every time I'm going in prison, where it's in Arkansas or prison or Kentucky or wherever it is, there's there's 30% or more, sometimes 50%, that give their life to Christ. And, you know, I. I want people to be in programs, but I want them to know Jesus because when they, get, when, they, when they know Jesus, this Bible becomes important in their life. I had never read a Bible for 16 years until that night I gave my life to Christ. Changed my world. Right now, when I get in prison, one of the things we do is give an altar call. And we'll give it more than once, more than twice while we're there. I heard a whole team, when we head into Florida to do 11 prisons in June, there'll be a dozen of us going there. We'd we'll be broken up in 11 teams there. And I'll say to the team, You've got to give altar calls, guys. You've got to give it like you care about that guy. You've got to give it because you want to see them in heaven. You, you got, if, if you can't do that, you, you shouldn't be on the team. You've got to have in your heart. That you believe these guys can give their life to Christ and they're going to be in heaven. One guy said when Betty and I was called into the missions 30 years ago, they're wasting their time going to prison. I can't wait till I get to heaven. If he made it, to show to him that people come to Christ inside of prison. Can somebody say Amen? But we give all the calls. Second thing that we promote strongly is this: that that you in God's word every day. Somebody say every day. I mean every day. In God's Word every day. Because I find out when I get a person in God's Word every day, their desire to sin goes down. And their, and their desire to serve God goes up. You know what I'm saying? Sin goes down. The Scripture says, hide God's Word in your heart that you might not sin. And the third thing that I believe when I get these guys in God's Word is that it's, it, it clarifies their calling. Everybody in this building has a calling. Believe me, you do, because there's somebody that won't go to heaven if you don't respond to that calling. It may be through cards or a letter or a phone call or email or Facebook or something or face-to-face, but I promise you've got a calling in your life, and it would clarify that. Um, and, you know, we're there for four days going into the prison, but then we'd try our best with every prison that would do it, every chaplain that's willing to do it, every ward that's willing to do it, is get these guys in a barracks called a PAL program for a year to study God's Word. And that's where we're getting great results, someone that will plug in for a year to study God's Word.